one of the uh, sections of St. Paul's writings that I always, uh, when I did marriage prep, I always had the um, couple read and think about and talk about is the fifth chapter of the epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians, because he has this famous passage where he's talking about how husbands and wives should relate to each other in a Christian dimension. But the most important part of that passage from my point of view and from the point of view of what we're going to talk about tonight is that he says uh, that uh, this is a great mystery. I speak in reference to Christ and the church. It's where, in a very clear way, uh, the church is depicted as the bride of Christ, and so uh, this bride of Christ is um, uh, certainly uh, the vehicle by which Christ extends himself in time and space and through the centuries down to our present time. It does us a good deal of good sometimes to concentrate on this precious treasure we have of being Catholics and belonging to this church founded by Christ. So I have some remarks about the church, the bride and the body of Christ. In speaking about the Catholic Church, St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, O humility, O sublimity, both tabernacle of cedar and sanctuary of God, earthly dwelling and celestial palace, house of clay and royal hall, body of death and temple of light, both an object of scorn to the proud, yet the bride of Christ to the elect. Even if the labor and pain of her long exile have discolored her, yet heaven's beauty still adorns her. And speaking of the church as the bride and body of Christ, uh, and composed, ironically, uh, entirely of sinners, although the church herself is holy and sinless, Cardinal Henri de Lubac said to a person who lives the mystery of the Catholic Church, she is always the city of precious stones, the heavenly Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb. But the dark side of her mystery is there too, and justice surely, and also for the unbeliever, whom the Father has not yet begun to draw to himself. The Church can remain a stumbling block. She can also be a testing ground even for the believer, which in many cases is a good thing. Perhaps the test is all the more strenuous in proportion uh, as the faith of the believer is more pure and more vital. St. Hippolytus said, The Catholic Church is where the Holy Spirit flourishes. And Irenaeus, St. Irenaeus said, Where the Church is, there is the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God is, there is every grace. In the New Testament, in his Epistle to the Thessalonians, St. Paul, call, uh, to Timothy, St. Paul calls uh, the Catholic Church, the Church of the Living God, the pillar and mainstay of truth. And Jesus, of course, in the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, talks about this church, which is built on the rock of St. Peter, his name being changed from Simon to Peter. And to him was entrusted, as to the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and he promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against her. The Second Vatican Council, citing the Epistle to the Hebrews, said the Church is essentially both human and divine, visible but endowed with invisible realities, zealous to action, yet dedicated to contemplation, present in the world but as a pilgrim, 
and so constituted that in her the human is directed toward and subordinate to the divine, the visible to the invisible, action to contemplation, and this present world to that city which is yet to come, the object of our quest. The Council says the Church is the earthly Church and the Church endowed with heavenly riches. Both are one Church, one complex reality, which come together with both a human and a divine element. Blessed John Henry Newman, a great favorite of mine, of course, but also a great favorite of our uh, present bishop here, Bishop Conley, uh, because like uh, Conley, who's a convert, uh, Bishop, just as an aside, Bishop Conley has an interesting story of his conversion. He was 22 years old when he became a Catholic at the University of Kansas, and uh, he talks about his first confession. He uh, said he was 22 and had a lot of sins, so he had it all written out in a couple index cards, and went into the confessional, and he was shocked. It was all dark, and he was trying to read from the light under the door, and uh, he was more perplexed than ever, and the priest pulled back the slide and said, well, and he said, I can't read. The priest said, illiteracy is not a sin. (laughs) John Henry Newman uh, said uh, in the middle of the 19th century, you must look at the Catholic Church in her profound and underlying reality. She has journeyed through many centuries, and her garments are covered with the dust of those ages, just as her shoes are smudged by the mud of that great journey, in the course of which she has received persecution from her foes and oftentimes betrayal by her children. But when we know who and what the Catholic Church is, we can say, as I can say, O long sought after, tardily found desire of the eyes, joy of the heart, truth after many shadows, fullness after many foretastes, home after many storms. Come to her, all you poor wanderers, for she it is and she alone who can unfold the meaning of your being, the secret of your destiny, for she can open to you the gate of heaven and put you on your way there. St. John Paul II said in the Creed and the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene-Constantinople uh, Creed, we proclaim we believe in the Church. This means we place the Church on the same level as the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity and the mysteries of the Incarnation and Redemption. Following the Second Vatican Council, we say that we believe in the Church as a supernatural mystery. It has been pointed out that there can be something scandalous and foolish involved in believing in a church where the divine is not only united with the human, but which presents herself to us by way of the all-too-human and sometimes with no alternative. Basway called the Catholic Church Christ, really perpetuated among us. Christ spread abroad and passed on, the permanent incarnation of the Son of God. Yet the church, because she is utterly holy, while still composed entirely of sinners, is even more compact of contrast and paradoxes than is Christ himself. The fathers of the early centuries uh, in the history of the church have called her the standard raised among the nations, the mountain visible from afar, the radiant city, the lamp set on the lampstand to illuminate the whole house, the imperishable building of cedar and cypress which defies the passage of time with awesome inspiring massiveness, 
giving our ephemeral individualities their measure of confidence, inviting all who have no faith and assuring her own children that the faith they profess has the firmest of foundations, the continual miracle announcing to men their Savior, the magnificent vaulting under which the saints, like so many stars, sing together to the glory of the Redeemer. The popes have often said what the fathers of the Church asserted from the beginning, that in a certain sense, the Catholic Church originated in the pierced side of Christ, when blood and water, symbols of baptism and Eucharist, which are the constitutive elements of the Catholic Church, were poured forth. Just as according to the poetic account of creation in the book of Genesis, Eve was taken from the side of Adam and became the mother of all the living, his wife and helpmate, so in a similar sense, Jesus, the new Adam, sleeping the death, the sleep of death on the cross, was the one who gave existence to his bride, the mother of all the spiritual living, which is our Catholic Church. This church then was manifested, according to Pope Leo XIII, reflecting what the fathers have said, in the great event at Pentecost, when people of every tribe and nation were united in hearing the apostles and seeing the tongues of fire. Blessed Pope Paul VI, said, because the church is the prolongation of Christ through the centuries, so that the salvation he won for humanity by his dying and rising might be available for all people of all time, the Catholic Church partakes to the same extent in the very reality of the Savior, who unites in his divine personhood, his one divine nature, with a true human nature, including a created human soul and a visible human body. Cardinal de Lubach said the Catholic Church is the fulfillment and fullness of Christ. She is the tabernacle of his presence, the building of which he is both architect and cornerstone, the temple in which he teaches and into which he draws with him his whole divinity. She is the ship. He is the pilot. She is the ark. He is the central mast, assuring communication of all those on board with the heavens above. She is the paradise He is the tree of life and wellness. She is the star, and he is the light from that star, which illuminates our night. St. John Chrysostom said, The church is our hope. She is our salvation. She never ages. Her vitality is eternal. St. Augustine said, It is in proportion as we love the church of Christ that we have within ourselves the Holy Spirit. And St. Cyprian, of course, in his well-known phrase, said again and again, No one can have God truly as his father unless he also has the Catholic Church as his mother. There are many images that were enumerated in the Second Vatican Council as well as in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in regard to her. These images are taken from sacred scripture and the writings of the fathers of the Church. The Church, for example, is called the sheepfold, the necessary gateway to Christ. She is also the flock which God himself foretold he would be the shepherd of. Although guided by human shepherds, the sheep of the church are ceaselessly led and nourished by Christ the Good Shepherd and the Prince of all shepherds, who gave up his life for his sheep. The church, the Vatican Council tells us, is the people of God. She is the Jerusalem from above, our mother, the spotless spouse of the spotless lamb, about whom St. Paul said that Christ loved and for whom he delivered himself up so that he might sanctify her washing her in a bath of water, united her to himself by an unbreakable alliance, and constantly nourishing and cherishing her. 
The Catholic Church is also called a temple, a sacred building. It is from the word church that we get the name church for ecclesiastical structures. The Lord compared himself to the stone which the builders rejected, but which has become the cornerstone. The Church of Christ is Christ's body and bride. He is the head of this body because he communicates grace and power to all the members who are joined to him in her unity of common faith, common ecclesiastical governance, and a common worship. That is the worship that Christ himself gives eternally to his Father in heaven in and through the Holy Spirit, through which and by which the members of the Church are joined to this sublime and supreme liturgy. We must remember uh, that in uh, Corpus Christi, made, uh, married to the, the uh, great encyclical the Church by Pope Pius Twelfth, he lists the three requirements to be truly a member of the Church. It's creed, cult, and code. You must, we must have the same belief, uh, we must worship the same way, and we must all be gathered together by the same ecclesiastical governance. The Catechism observes that because the Catholic Church is of God, it is fundamentally different from every other religious, ethnic, political, or cultural group found in human history. One becomes a member of this people not by physical birth, but by baptism and faith. Jesus is the head of this people, the anointed Messiah, and his anointing is the Holy Spirit who flows through his work into the members of the church, making them into a messianic people. Uh, the great theologian Carl Adams said, This is the vision that amid the desolation of the present age holds my gaze spellbound. I discern and think that I want to help others discern the immortality, the vigorous life, the eternal youth of this old original church. In the middle of the 1800s, when it was uh, Ranke's Lives of the Pope was published in English, they asked Thomas Babington Macaulay, the great historian, uh, English historian, uh, to write the introduction. And he wrote words, although he wasn't a Catholic, that are quite eloquent. He said, There is not and never was on earth a work of human policy so well deserving of examination as the Roman Catholic Church. The history of that church joins together the two great ages of human civilization. No other institution is left standing, which carries the mind back to the times when the smoke of sacrifice rose from the Pantheon, when leopards and tigers bounded in the Flavian Amphitheater. The proudest royal houses are but of yesterday when compared with the line of supreme pontiffs. That line we can trace back in an unbroken series from the Pope who crowned Napoleon in the 19th century to the Pope who crowned Pepin in the 8th century, and far beyond the time of Pepin. The Republic of Venice comes next in antiquity, but the Republic of Venice was modern when compared with the papacy, and the Republic of Venice is gone, but the papacy remains. The papacy remains not in decay, not a mere antique, but full of life and youthful vigor. The Catholic Church is still sending forth to the farthest ends of the world missionaries, as zealous as those who landed in Kent with Augustine of Canterbury, and she is still confronting hostile kings with the same spirit with which she confronted Attila. Nor do we see any sign which determines that the term of her long dominion is approaching. She saw the beginning of all the governments, all the churches, all the ecclesiastical establishments that now exist in the world, and we feel no assurance that she is not destined to see the end of them all. She was great and respected before the Saxons set foot on Britain, 
before the Frank had passed the Rhine, when Grecian eloquence still flourished at Antioch, when idols were still worshipped in the temple of Mecca. And she may still exist in undiminished vigor when some traveler from New Zealand shall, in the midst of a vast solitude, take a stand on a broken arch of London Bridge to sketch the ruins of St. Paul. Pius XII said quite eloquently, There is nothing more glorious, nothing nobler, nothing more honorable that can be imagined than to belong to the Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church, in which we become members of a body as venerable as this church is unique. We are guided by one supreme head, filled with one divine spirit, nourished during our earthly exile by one doctrine and one heavenly bread, until at last we enter into the unending blessedness of heaven. The Catechism tells us the church is in history, but at the same time she transcends history. It is only with the eyes of faith that one can see in her visible reality, her spiritual reality as the bearer of divine life. The Holy Father, John Paul II, said the church is a priestly, sacramental, and prophetic community instituted by Jesus Christ as a structured, hierarchical, and ministerial society to provide pastoral governance for the continual formation and growth of the Christian community. The Second Vatican Council, quoting St. Augustine, said the church, like a stranger in a foreign land, presses forward amid the persecutions of the world and the consolations of God announcing the cross and death of a risen Lord until he comes again. By the power of that risen Lord, the Catholic Church has given strength that she might, in patience and in love, overcome the sorrows and challenges both inside her and from without, and might reveal to the world faithfully, darkly, the mystery of her Lord until, in the end, it will be manifested in its full light. Cardinal de Lubac um, Cardinal Lubach is a Jesuit uh, and uh, extraordinarily brilliant man. He was one of the great Pariti, one of the great experts of the Second Vatican Council. Uh, as a Jesuit, however, he was a close friend of another Jesuit named Teilhard de Chardin. And de Chardin uh, wrote The Phenomenon of Man and several other things, an, evolution, an evolutionist, a present a kind of a view that was... Um, in a certain sense, extreme. And the biggest problem was the gratuity of the supernatural order, which if you follow the teachings of De Chardin, it's pretty hard to discern. Uh, so de Lubac tried to defend De Chardin when the Holy See and the Jesuit order issued a monitum against him. A monitum is a solemn warning. Be careful, there's some danger in what he's teaching here. And because of that monitum, um, de Lubac went to bat for De Chardin, and he was silenced. Uh, the Holy See and the Jesuit order ordered him um, not to publish, not to talk, and to live a life of uh, quiet. And so he did. And he was extremely obedient, uh, very edifying. And while he was in this exile, he wrote a beautiful book called The Splendor of the Church, in which he uh, ex extolled greatly in beautiful and magnificent in, uh, words of the Catholic Church. Uh, Later on, he was exonerated, and uh, he retracted, of course, those things that uh, the church found objectionable. And was, he was very, felt very fondly of by uh, St. John Paul II. 
and certainly even by Paul VI, and he was made one of the Pareti, one of the experts of the council, and did great work there in all the various documents concerning the church, particularly Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the church, and then the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes. Cardinal de Lubach said this about the church, the Catholic church is the mother of love at its most lovely, with healthy fear of divine knowledge of holy hope. Without her, our thought is diffused and lays hazy, but she gathers it into a firm unity. She scatters the darkness in which men either slumber or despair or pitifully shape as they please their own fantasies of the infinite. Without discouraging us from any task, she protects us from the deceptive myths of other churches made by the hand of man and spares us from the aberrations and revulsions that follow them. She saves us from destruction in the presence of God. She is a living ark, the gate of the east, the unflawed mirror of the activity of the Most High. As the beloved of the Lord of the universe, she is initiated into his secrets and then teaches us whatever pleases him. The supernatural splendor of the church never fades, even in the darkest hours. And it is thanks to her that our own darkness is bathed in light. Through her, her priests go up every day to the altar of God, who gives joy to her youth and our youth. The glory of Lebanon is in her. Under the obscurity of her earthly covering each day, she gives us him who is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is through her, the Catholic Church, that we have hope of life in him. The memory of her is sweeter than honey, and he who hears her will never be put to confusion. For the Catholic Church is our Holy Mother, our unique Mother, the Immaculate Mother, the Great Mother, the True Eve, the Mother of all the spiritually living. Uh, blessed Pope Paul VI in, the, in his credo of the people of God, when not the documents of the council, but the para-council and some of the uh, stuff that hung on to the council uh, was per being perpetuated through the church in 1967, issued this credo of the people of God. He said, we believe that the church, founded by Jesus Christ for which he prayed, is indefectibly one in faith, worship, and the bond of hierarchical communion. We believe that the church is necessary for salvation because Christ, who is the one and only mediator and way of salvation, renders himself present for us in his body, which is the church. St. Augustine says, We can apply to the church today these words, that the body of Christ consists of many parts having different functions, but he who binds it tightly together with the knot of unity and love to give it its proper kind of health always, always brings us to the truth in and through her. He trains and purges his church with various kinds of salutary vexations and distresses, so that once she has been snatched from the world, he may bind his wife, the Catholic Church, to himself forever, so that she will never in the future have any stain or wrinkle or any such thing. The church is a virgin because... Her doctrine is pure, undiluted, unmutilated, and uh, totally uh, the way God wants it to be, coming from his mouth and from his 
heart. Uh, we uh, must love this church, uh, which is his bride. And if we don't love the church, we don't love him. The church can be disappointing in our human element because it's composed of sinners and because it's composed of sinners who have all the human weaknesses, pride, ignorance, failing. But this is all made up for in the fact that the church is his bride and his body. And in the beauty of that bride and body, we uh, are able to rest with joy, with happiness, and with the assurance of a future uh, that will be joy and happiness eternally. One of the um, great uh, difficulties sometimes is to discern what it is that God is telling us in his divine revelation. But it's the church that enables us to know what he's telling us. There's a famous incident in the Acts of the Apostles uh, where, as you remember, uh, the uh, Philip the deacon was told to go along a certain kind of road, and there, uh, sitting in a carriage, was the head of the uh, eunuchs of the queen of Ethiopia. And he was reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. And uh, Philip said, do you know what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone tells me? Uh, scriptures are not self-interpreting. Uh, Philip then got into the carriage, explained what he was reading to him, and then baptized him. There still is in the Holy Land a pool where it is claimed uh, Philip did that baptizing of that Ethiopian eunuch. I think we must always uh, appreciate the fact, as Cardinal Lubach said, that without the church, we're uh, totally adrift. There's no way we can come uh, to Christ except through that church, just as there's no way we can come to God except through Jesus Christ. And this kind of expression does cause a lot of discomfort. There are people who say that kind of exclusiveness is not tolerable in our present uh, time, in our present age, uh, but it was there. Our Lord was explicit about it. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. St. Peter on Pentecost preached very clearly. There is no way uh, that anyone can be saved except in and through the name of Jesus. And so with that kind of, obviously there's nuances we talk about now, baptism of desire, implicit desire, uh, people who are themselves have not had uh, contact. But we must see it as our obligation to bring others uh, to this church. We must love her, and we must evangelize and bring others to her. Uh, evangelization has, as probably its best definition, uh, obeying very clearly the second great commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself. And we must love our neighbor so much that we love our neighbor into the arms of Christ and into the arms of his church. There's, uh, uh, we uh, are reluctant sometimes and sometimes for good reason, sometimes for bad reason, uh, to bring up religion. Mother Angelica used to say, if you have people in your house you want to get rid of, you just rub your hands together. Says, Let's talk about religion. And they'll take their coats and go home immediately. Uh, it's a good way to get rid of them. But we, we, we can uh, evangelize uh, as much by example as we can uh, by uh, words. And sometimes it's imprudent, uh, maybe, baby, but we shouldn't use prudence or caution as an excuse not to be brave and strong and to proclaim 
the truth of the faith uh, to those around us. Once again, example sometimes serves better uh, than any other uh, any other way. Uh, being afraid, sometimes you can do it. Uh, when I was a pastor in suburban Milwaukee, uh, very I belonged to the Rotary Club in Wauwatosa, this hoity-toity suburb of Milwaukee, and uh, we, one of the people in the Rotary Club was a, a lawyer, an attorney, uh, who a big law firm. And they, I think they almost did exclusively stuff in front of the Supreme Court, either Wisconsin or the Supreme Court of the United States. They were kind of in a, a, a specialized kind of firm and uh, very uh, high class and very expensive. And uh, he was, I thought, very anti-Catholic. There wasn't a scandal that he didn't bring to my attention. There was uh, any trouble and even uh, distortions of uh, things in the news that he would make sure was stuck right in front of my nose at those meetings, and I shrugged it off. I let it go. Uh, then uh, I was going on vacation one time, and I uh, uh, had to leave early on uh, Sunday morning, so I'd have the first masses, early masses at the parish, and then I'd take off to do some apostolic recreation. <laughs> I was uh, so I, I, it was rather hurried, packing up and closing up loose ends. And uh, doing that, I didn't really prepare the homily very well. And, I, uh, and the homily had to do with uh, the exclusiveness of, of Christ's claim and the church's claims. But I thought, well, I'll just say it. And I'll, in the earliest masses, there aren't that many people anyway. So, so I, I let fly and uh, really uh, was... Uh, a little bit more than vehement, and I looked up, and there he was sitting in the front pew. And I, oh my goodness, I, I blew it. And I knew it. I, you know, I had the most troublesome time fishing that whole week. And I said, I know, I know what's waiting for me when I come back. Sure enough, there was the big note on my desk from uh, the secretary. Uh, Attorney Schilling wants to talk to you immediately. He wants an appointment. And I I was, well, okay, I'll have to face the controversy. So um, I called up his office, and we made the appointment. And he came in, and I said, well, here it comes. He sat down. He said, you know, Monsignor, I was uh, very considering all week what you said last Sunday at Mass, and, and I want to start taking instructions to be a Catholic. <laughs> I, 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 till this day, and he's a marvelous Catholic, and... and uh, uh, retired now and yeah, a little bit in my age bracket, but uh, sometimes we don't realize maybe what we're doing. Uh, we don't uh, realize what we're doing. When I was living in Rome, I remember one time, of all people, and she was quite old by then, uh, turns up looking for a, a ticket to get to go into the visit the Holy Father to be in an audience. It was Kate Smith. Now, there may probably people don't even know who she is, but in the 1930s, Kate Smith was a, a great buxom lady, but she was a, had a beautiful voice. And she was the one who uh, induced uh, the uh, singing or started singing uh, God Bless America. Uh, she went to Irving Berlin one time and asked for a patriotic song. It was getting near Second World War, 1938, I think. And he reached in a drawer and pulled out. He had written this God Bless America for... Uh, some other play that he had, and he never used it because he thought it was too schmaltzy and too uh, shallow. And, but she 
she made it famous, and God bless America. And he was startled, Irving Berlin was startled. He gave all the uh, credits for it. Uh, if you use it, you have to pay the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts or something. But Kate Smith and I, what's she doing in Rome? And she said, I just became a Catholic last month, and so I would like to have this audience with the Pope if I could. And really, what brought this about? Well, she said, my manager for 30 years uh, was such a good Catholic, so honest, so good. And he was one of the most marvelous human beings I had ever met. And I was convinced that it was his Catholic faith that made him that way. And so when he died, I said to myself, I've got to see what this is about. She took instructions and had been baptized a Catholic. Sometimes we evangelize in ways that are unexpected. We uh, don't realize sometimes uh, the impact uh, that we have. And while we might not see in this world uh, the results of our lives, and, but in another uh, we shall. The, uh, there's no doubt that uh, preaching with uh, deeds and lifestyle is sometimes far more effective than preaching with words. And so to uh, present the church in the way we should uh, can be somewhat difficult, but at the same time, when we love something or we love somebody, we never mind talking about it. And most of all, uh, our love for the church must uh, be linked to our love of neighbor. And that second great commandment doesn't just tell us uh, to uh, give uh, material uh, things to our neighbor, which we must love as we love ourselves, uh, but we must give the most precious thing we have, which is uh, sharing our faith. In the early days of the church, uh, we can't believe how uh, the faith spread, and the persecution was vigorous. Uh, there were many ways in which uh, following Christ uh, meant uh, confiscation of your property and death itself. But uh, people had so much love for the church because they had so much love for Christ that they were undeterred and evangelized. So uh, this wonderful gift uh, crossed over uh, into the millions. At the present time in our country, we have a population of about 320 million people. Uh, there are seven 70 million of us are Catholics in the United States, uh, which is less than had been a short time ago. In addition to the 7 million, uh, 70 million Catholics, there are 35 million others who had been Catholics who are fallen away. And so I, I uh, often tell our young priests, uh, uh, we have to get them back. Those are the lost sheep, and we have to go out of our way to uh, present the church and ourselves in the church in such a way that we attract them uh, back uh, to Christ. And if we uh, do that, we'll be carrying out our obligations. We, um, I tell the young priests uh, that uh, you have to, they all know the routine. I'd say 50, 25, 1, 1. What does that mean? I said, okay, Father, um, you have to each year make 50 converts and you have to bring back 25 fallen aways. You have to send one man to the seminary and one girl to the convent. And if you're not doing that, 
then uh, don't come to me and tell me you don't have enough to do. I will provide uh, plenty of things for you to occupy yourself. So I think we have to place a little bit of that zeal into our own lives. Uh, be willing and ready uh, to um, love this bride of Christ, this body of Christ, and to uh, make show this love. And if we do it even in unobtrusive and not very conspicuous ways, uh, we will be accomplishing perhaps far more than we suspect. This church is the miller, uh, the pillar uh, of truth, the mainstay of truth. Uh, she is indeed a virgin and a mother like Mary, who is her archetype, virginal in her doctrine and her holiness and her sacramental life and the grace she provides for us. She's our mother, and she's the mother that wants us uh, to uh, one day uh, be with her in the halls of eternity. Uh, the Catholic Church is uh, the body and the bride of Christ, and uh, to that extent, we are members of this uh, Catholic Church, and show, so she is also to some extent our bride and our body. Amen.